Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? You know, I say whoever's triggering you is giving you an opportunity to heal a wound in which you haven't. Your triggers are yours. So when we say he makes me feel, she makes me feel, no, 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 you already believe that. They're just reflecting that to you again. You may recognise today's guest as I've had the pleasure of interviewing Nadia Joy in my first season, episode 25 in fact. Nadia is pure delight. She's a powerhouse full of passion and energy and not afraid to call out bad behaviour, all in the pursuit of making us better humans. Nadia is the founder of Nadia Joy, a transformational leadership company that teaches founders and leaders in startups to lead authentically in a way that brings out the best in them and their teams. She is also a self-professed love teacher who is educating and empowering women to love themselves as they are so that they can rewrite their futures. You can find out more about that at her website, Rainbow Fire Love Queen. Over two decades, Nadia has helped thousands of clients on their personal growth, wellness and leadership journeys. You are in for an absolute treat today as this conversation will be real, raw and no doubt feisty. That's what happens when two passionate girls get in a room together. Nadia, it is fabulous to have you back on the show. Welcome. So good to be here, Michelle. I have missed you. Oh, I've missed you too. And it was so long, I think number five or six, I have to have a look, but it was such a fabulous conversation that it was time. It's three years, babe. We needed to have another chat. Remember we said afterwards or before, we were going to do it often because we had all these topics. You know, I said, we need to talk about like radical self-love and radical orgasms and, you know, we were going to go crazy. (laughs) And then COVID hit and we like went to meltdown. (laughs) That's great. But I'm intrigued as to what right now that you want society to talk more about. What's your topic? Nadia. Today I want to talk about work-life balance is a myth, an urban legend and a load of BS. I've been working with so many leaders and women actually just recently who have so much pressure on themselves and feel like they're failing their children or their work because they just can't find this elusive work-life balance. And as you know, Michelle, like women put so much pressure on themselves, particularly to get it perfect and be right and be everything for everyone else, right? And so I was doing a panel actually recently in Sydney and that was the topic where work-life balance. And I said to Jody, who was running the panel, I don't believe in it, so I'm going to blow up the panel. And she's like, right, good, because I think it's really good to have your lens on it. And obviously she had a, you know, a series of female leaders talking about how they have navigated their way through and then I just hit the explode button. <laughs> As you do so well. I love it. Just like rock the boat. You make me look kind and gentle and slow <laughs> when I hang out with you. I love it. So it's an interesting topic and it's one that, yeah, I've been asked often as a, as a corporate throughout my kind of career and a lot of sort of younger staff would ask, you know, how do you do it? You seem to do lots of things. And I've never believed in it either, to be honest. Like I guess the term for me 
is the balance and it's assumption that it has to be equal and even, you know, in terms of work and life. And having worked in tourism for 25 years, the other industry I love, a job that I've always adored, you know, I have to do stuff. That's the first thing for me is I have to do a job and work for a company that I love. Like it has to be aligned with my morals and my belief system and stuff. So it doesn't feel like work to me. But then the other side is I would be traveling all around the world. So I'd be like in Paris for work or I'd be in, you know, like New York. And I'm like, how can I call this work? You know, so to me, it was always been a bit of a blur. And it's around then the guilt factor of, you know, midday going to get my hair done because I've been away for the weekend working. And then I think like, I'm not going to tell anyone about the hairdresser because, you know, they'll think I'm slacking off. So it's interesting. So true. The example is perfect. So first of all, let me tell you what my theory is. And I work in stuff. Startups, as you know, and if, if you've ever worked in a startup or know someone in a startup, they are a vortex in which once you're in them, they suck you in. They're like a hungry cookie monster and they will take as much as they can from you. It's just a beast that just needs everyone to just, you could lose yourself. And so many people lose themselves in startups. There is no balance in a startup. It doesn't exist. It's a myth. But what you need to do in order to survive a startup, and by the way, you need to survive a startup, me included, and I'm an outsider, an outlier typically because I'm, you know, I work in multiple startups is it's you're either in alignment or out of alignment. And here's the thing about that. When you're in alignment, you manage your work, you get it done, you can deliver it, you show up in meetings, you say what you need to say, you do the work, it gets done, you build momentum and you flow. When you're not in alignment in a startup or in anywhere, it's hard, it's clunky, you don't get it done. You bring your work home, you're not present for your children if you've got them or your partner or you're sacrificing your personal life to work. There's no boundaries for you. The lines get blurred. And here's the other thing I keep advocating for and talking about that. So when you're in alignment, it's because you know where you are, you're self-aware, you connect to yourself and you meet those needs and you have no issue in meeting those needs. You know what they need to be. You know that you need to go to the hairdresser. In fact, you take the day off because you work Saturday, Sunday and you're not ashamed of it. You don't care about guilt because you're like, hey, I've worked all weekend. You don't need validation and proof for that. You own that space. That's a decision, right? You're connected to yourself. You acknowledge, honour and aware of your needs. When you're out of alignment and you've got no boundaries, you don't know how you feel. In fact, typically your feelings and needs don't matter at all. You're the last person. You're putting the startup or the role or the work or motherhood or partner, your relationship before yourself and your needs. And that's where we lose our way. Now, the most important thing about that is that we need to remember that we are conditioned to put our needs and ourselves last. That's why we end up as a hot mess in the first place. My job is to teach people and leaders. So typically I don't have a leadership blueprint that I go and impart on a startup or on a leadership team. What I do is go, you are an expert, you know what you're doing, or you're a founder, this is your startup. We couldn't be here without you. So what's in alignment to you? What do you value? What are you doing this for? And how do we find your balance, which by the way is day to day, week to week, there is not a protocol. Yeah, it's a really good point. So day to day, week to week, and not the same as the person next to you or your partner or your ever, you know, boss or ever. whatever. Yeah. And this is what we want. We want alignment to be our fitness routine. It can't be. It's not a supplement ritual or remedy. It's not like you take vitamin C twice a day, five days a week. Boom. That's what you do. Alignment doesn't work that way and balance doesn't work that way. So depending on my night, my relationship, my family, what's in alignment for me today? Knowing what I've got out ahead of me, what do I need to do and how do I show up and do that to the best of my ability? What do I need to get up early to walk, to have a run, or do I need to sleep in? 
do I need to spend some more time with the kids in the morning or do I need to leave early? And it is always case specific on where you're at and where your family at and where your career is at. So we have to be emotionally adaptable. In a startup, we talk about agile, which is here's our priorities, here's what we're working on long term, but shit, we've got something blew up. And so we now need to put that on the radar and that's got we've got to put that before something, which means we have to move something further back. And there's a whole system of how this works. And it's really smart, actually, but we don't do it emotionally. None of us have learnt or teach ourselves how to do this emotionally. Okay, based upon my emotional needs of what happened now, here's where I'm at and what I need to do. So you're saying we never do it emotionally. Is that because coming from an emotional sense is deemed as weakness, do you think, and especially in the workforce? No, I think we don't do it emotionally is because we are conditioned to be robots to do what's of service and of value. So look at education, A, hard work, study, A plus D, no effort. We're really conditioned from a young age that good girls, good boys get rewarded and hard work is sacrificing yourself for everyone else. And I, of course, work with a lot of high performers and a lot of them would wrongly attribute their success to how hard they are on themselves. I break that down and tell them that shit because I say to them being hard on yourself is actually working against you, not for you, but they're very successful people right? So they're like, well, hang on, prove it. Well, they could be better and their life could be more fulfilling and they might be, you know, enjoying it more. And What I do is propose if you were kind to yourself, could you still be a high achiever and get a pay rise and earn more money? And they're like, well, I never even contemplated that as an option for success. I thought the only path to success was self-sacrifice and punishment. And then, of course, we don't have any emotional intelligence. And I don't know if I said this on our original podcast, but I really believe in a company has a duty of care to teach its people how to emotion, how to understand this is who I am, this is connection, this is vulnerability, this is belonging, this is honesty, this is transparency, because schools and families don't do this typically, right? So somebody has to at some point in time teach people how to do this if you want to have an evolved, high-functioning healthy team, organisation, family, workplace, whatever, right? We have to learn these skills. Remember, every emotion is just a skill. Vulnerability is a skill. Honesty is a skill. Forgiveness is a skill, right? Self-awareness is a skill, just like an exercise. You've got to learn it and then practice it. And that's why you hire people and you hire someone to learn it. Like, where do you go to get fit? You get a personal trainer or you go to a gym or you start walking. So it depends on what you want. But you need to invest in your education on emotions. And by the way, if you're investing in your education as a leader and you're not taking your team on that journey by getting them to invest in their education, then your knowledge will be limited anyway. Listening to everything you're saying here is like it's a massive hangover of like the Industrial Revolution, right? Because, you know, everything about us. Correct. We are breaking away from that. And so the more we realize that, to your point, that we've been conditioned to be like this, act like this, and actually put pressure on each other, that's the other part of that, right? The piece is, oh, you know, if someone's being a slacker, call them out, you know, and like, no, no, no. (laughs) And I think that actually that's a one beautiful thing out of the whole kind of COVID trauma experience is that people are more open to, you know, being flexible in terms of working at home or dialing in for meetings, you know, where I used to fly places crazily for one or or two hour meeting and fly from Sydney to Melbourne, you know, just for that, the expense, the travel miles, like all the different things that alone the emotional and physical kind of draining. But there's so much more that's open to us now. And this is a time for us to kind of really double down on that and, you know, do more work on yourselves, on your teams, you know, or maybe you have to manage up with your with your bosses and stuff as well. 
the other thing is about, you know, like your rhythms, about, you know, some people are morning people, some people are night people, you know, being able to do your best work that is in the best time for you and in the environment, then organisations will get so much more out of their employees as well, let alone, you know, like in terms of output and success, but also their fulfilment and their happiness and, you know, obviously staff staying with the company longer as well. There's so many benefits, isn't there? Oh, and marriages, the impact on relationships and families in leaders that I work with is exponential. And so, you know, I say to everyone, where does your relationship break down? What's the impact work has on your relationship and where does it break down? And let's make sure that that never happens again, because I'm here to unlock your potential, to show you your limitations and help you, you know, rewrite a new pattern and a new story. But let's make sure that you take your family and your kids on that journey whoever you are at home, you will be at work. Like our patterns come with us wherever we go. It's just smart business. Good humaning is just smart. I mean, I really believe in education. I think love needs to be taught at schools for the same reasons, as does all of these things, you know, self-acceptance, forgiveness. I think we need emotional classes from prep or kinder, not just angry, sad, confused. I think we need to go, emotions are a skill and we start skill building. And by the way, Michelle, just so you know, I endorse and advocate for a lot of the toughest conversations. So when you said, you know, someone's slacking off, we all need to show up no matter what's happening in our personal life and do our job and parent our children and be a great partner if we want a healthy, sustainable relationship. So you don't get to cop out and then live happily ever after, meaning there will be a price to pay for that at some point. You will have a fraction to your partner or your children won't connect to you or you'll drop the ball on your job. Nobody actually wants to do that. When I'm working with someone who's doing any of that, they are drowning in some way, shape or form. They are overwhelmed, guilty, in a shame spiral. There's always a reason for that. So it's really important to identify, first of all, where someone is. Where are you at right now and why? What is the root cause and driver of that situation? And then how do we then have some really honest conversations, either with yourself and face the truth of what you're doing and take full emotional ownership and responsibility of the impact you're having to not only yourself and your life, but then to everyone around you, to your team, to your colleagues, to your leaders, to your partner, to your children. Like we have to face the truth. That's the key of self-awareness. Then from that place and only from that place, can we make the right decisions and choices and know what's right? And we don't do what's right for everyone else first. I always go, what's right for you? What can you do? What would alignment look like for you? Because unless we can make it about you, you will then be connected to your guidance, which is your feelings, your alignment. And then from that place, we get those signals so we can read and adapt on the daily. Does that sort of make sense? Makes sense to me. Lots of people are going to hear and think that's pretty woo-woo, but, uh, but I love it. It is, it's, it is yeah. not woo-woo because here's the thing. This is not logical. We are emotional beings. We are living, Our decisions are emotional decisions based upon emotions. When you're overworking, you're overworking because you either can't set boundaries, you can't communicate, or you're not delivering your job because of a way you feel about yourself. I promise you every single issue you're having at work is an emotional one, not a logical, tactical one. Not once have I seen this. And we have to wake up to this. This is not woo. This is normal. The idea that we're all thinking beings and that life is logical is just a crock. It just isn't. And I can prove it out, you know, when I speak to a leader or anyone that I work with, it's just not true. How does it make you feel? Why? 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 And then we get tears or, you know, some passion or or tension. And I just don't want anyone to see that being emotional is a weakness. Like you said before, we are emotional beings. We've got to become emotional masters rather than going, oh, 
this is messy and emotional. We are messy and emotional humans until yeah, we it's understand. And I think, again, it's like, you know, where we're kind of breaking away, like with, you know, a patriarchy and many organisations where there's lots of, you know, men at the top that are kind of ruling and running the show and making statements and comments like, oh, she's all emotional and it's a time of the month and she kind of carried on like they used to fire me up. Like you just, you know, the fact that if you get passionate about something or you're standing up for someone or you're, you know, want to stand up for a point and they go like, well, you don't have to be emotional about it, you know, and I think what you're saying there is spot on, Nadia, is, is actually bringing that into the workforce more. And I think as I started to progress throughout my career and get more comfortable with, you know, who I was as a leader and show more of myself and be more vulnerable, staff related to me more. And then they felt that they could come to me to talk to, to me about it. And no, it's not just females, it was males as well, and talk about different things that were going on. And it created just such a beautiful network and a, an organisation that everyone was much more open with their communication, which is can only be better, right? Well, what you're doing there, Michelle, is creating connection, true and good connections and true and good leadership based upon, you know, meeting people where they're at, validating and seeing them. And then that's what we, that's what we all seek, right? We just don't want to be judged or misunderstood. Typically, we want that. We need that, you know, so that's exactly what good leadership looks like like and it's adaptable it's emotionally adaptive it means we have to weigh in and have those tough conversations we have to understand each other's triggers weaknesses limitations and not shame each other when we're in any of those states call each other out call each other in and work through those tough times it's big work when I work with founders it's always the people in every company I work in it's always the people that cause the most pain never the problems business problems are business problems they can be easily fixed it's people problems and people people's emotions and not having a toolkit to manage people's emotions that that wears everybody down at work and what everyone talks about. It's always people problems. This person did this to me. This person said this. This person makes me feel like this. This person's this. It's always the people that break us down. And, and that's why it's so powerful because people really are our teachers. You know, I say whoever's triggering you is giving you an opportunity to heal a wound in which you haven't. Your triggers are yours. So when we say he makes me feel, she makes me feel, no, 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 you already believe that. They're just reflecting that to you again. Now, I'm not endorsing shit behaviour or whatever somebody's doing, but I'm telling you if you're in alignment and you are healed, it's Teflon. You can identify it's the other person projecting onto you and you can have that tough and honest conversation saying, hey, Michelle, listen, in the meeting I can see you're projecting onto me, you're very heightened and angry. Can we talk about that and let's break that down or let's work through that? Perfect. But if I'm like, Michelle, you make me feel like an idiot in that meeting, that's because I feel like an idiot and I feel insecure and you're triggering me. That's my wound and that comes out and that plays. So I always say to people, whoever's triggering you is your teacher and instead of making them your arch nemesis, change the language around that going, okay, clearly I've got a lesson to learn right now. You are teaching me. And where do we start is how that person makes you feel. So how are you making me feel? Have you ever felt that before? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the very first time you felt like that? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the universe's 8,956th attempt to get you to face that wound that you haven't clearly because we are still having to do it and you felt it now for 26 years. Wake up. It's time to do the work.
right? This happens to me every week too. So please don't think because I know this, I'm devoid of my issues or my lessons. I'm like this. I always look up to the universe going, all right, all right, okay, I got you, I'm on it. And then I tend to myself, I go into my office, get my journal out, my whiteboard out, and I start mapping out my issues. And then I get shitty because I should know better because I do this for a living. And then I get over that and then I work my way through and I actually end up always feeling extreme gratitude for the opportunity to grow. Because remember, without the discomfort, we would never face our shit. We just wouldn't. Yes, for so spot on. So someone might be listening and they're like, where do I start? You know, I work for someone else. I don't really have control to live the way I'm living my life now and the balance I've got of, you know, I'm working big hours, but my pottery is is like a meditation, you know, an absolute beautiful balance to the big cerebral kind of, you know, work I do on boards and stuff. So that's the balance I've got to. And it's not about getting, you know, the play. Well, I mean, pottery is a bit of play as well, but I love what I do. So it doesn't feel like work and it's fulfillment for me, even though I am getting money from that. It's taken me a long time to get here and to to get to this place. But someone listening might be like, well, I, you know, I work for someone else. I've got to be, you know, in the office by eight. I've got to leave at five. I've got kids. What's something that they can do? Something even little that they can start with to try and shift the dial here? Easy. So you need to know what you need in order to show up for work. Have you got kids at home? How are your mornings? Are they in alignment, out of alignment? Is there rushing? If you could feel anyway in the morning, how would you want to feel? And what thing could you do to feel that way this morning? or tomorrow morning. Do you really have to have a hot breakfast if you've got no time? Could you really take a little bit longer if your kids are really emotional and fragile? It's just about giving ourselves permission to get out of the routine and the rush and the gun to our head and the running. Could we be five minutes late one day or could we get up an hour early? Whatever it is, there's always something you can do. So get creative about acknowledge how you feel and what you'd like to feel and then be prepared to let go of things or try new things to get there. Now at work, where are you in or out of alignment? Where is the meeting in or out of alignment? Which relationship is in or out of alignment? So you just have to identify which aspects are working and what are not and then write a list of all the things you'd like to do, what you think might get each and every area in alignment. So this is what I do. I gave myself permission to try and get alignment at all costs in any context. So what I do is go, could we try this? Hey, this doesn't feel right to me. So I'm always vulnerable, acknowledging the truth, not sure if I'm wrong or right, squirmy, as you can see I'm doing now, like always on the leading edge of vulnerability and truth. And then through that interaction and connection and the willingness to have a risk and speak, I often find out people like, oh, me too. I hate it, Nadia. Oh, thank God it wasn't just me. All right, now what can we do? Or, geez, you know, I say to the kids even, geez, dinners are awful. Oh, mum. So it doesn't matter whether it's my dinners or a meeting with someone. I just am willing to trial and error everything and keep trialing and erroring everything. Keep trialing honesty and communicating and ways of working until we find alignment. But here's the thing. This is the most impossible thing about alignment. <laughs> Once you get it, it doesn't last. It just lasts then. So you just have to keep adapting it, which is the perfect thing for us all because it forces us to never settle. Like if you strive for alignment, it's forcing you to put your needs first, to validate yourself. It is the pathway to worthiness and self-love. It's kind of genius, but the only thing you have to do is the tiny little things that would make you feel good in every little aspect of your day. Somebody said to me, it sounds too easy. I said, it actually is really simple and easy, but once you acknowledge it, do you have the chops to actually do it, to say it, to take it? 
to get it. So that's what I would say to people to do, to always break it down, acknowledge what you want to feel, acknowledge where you are, and then trial and error. Just keep doing things until you get it. And once you get it, you're like, boom, got it. Oh, what a note to finish on, Nadia. You are always so insightful and you can feel the energy from you. Like we're going to have to put this recording out so that people can see you because when you get fired up and feisty, it's beautiful to watch, I've got to say, and wonderful to hear. So darling, just divine to speak to you again today. Thank you again for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing your lovely words of wisdom and giving us a right kick up the bum <laughs> to get, <laughs> get our alignment sorted. Yeah, fabulous. Thanks, Thanks for so. having me. It was great. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.